we're going to continue this morning looking at what we had started. And, uh, and actually, I had anticipated, you know, when you make plans, you don't write in when Bible conferences are. So I had planned to kind of already be down the road a little bit here. And the Bible conference last week kind of put me off the rail a little bit. I usually plan out about six months what I'm going to be teaching with the right to change anything and everything at the spare of the moment. So, uh, But uh, anyway, we're in the month of February, and we've been talking about Paul's love language. And uh, we started here in Philippians 2, and we're going to just read and remind ourselves and then look once again here at the issue of charity. And, and I do that knowing that <laughs> you can't just teach charity in two lessons. And I got that, and I understand that, and I'm not trying to do that but I'm trying to show you where we're headed because Paul says in Philippians 2, verse number 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're going to have a starting point, and the starting point is the mind of Christ. That's what we have. And I know what happens. We get in verse 6, 7, and 8, and we look at that. But really, verse 3, let nothing be, uh, verse 2, well, verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Now, that's the, a picture, a great description of the Godhead and how the Godhead thinks. One mind, like-minded. You, know you know what it is to have a like mind, okay? And how wonderful that is to be around people who are like-minded, when you're around folks that are like-minded, you never have to worry about offending anyone. You never have to, I always tell myself, don't walk on eggshells around people. And I have taught myself over the year not to do that. I used to do that in ministry, just be careful what you say. But sometimes what needs to be said needs to be said. And there's no easy way to say that sometimes. So it being like-minded of one accord, of one mind. Now, verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mindset of the Godhead is illustrated for us in verse 2 and 3. How does the Godhead think about the other members of the Godhead? Well, they're of one mind. They're like-minded. There's no strife. There's no vainglory. There is an esteem that is there. There is a, I'm going to prefer the other more than I prefer myself. I'm looking out for the other. I mean, think about God the Son, the relationship between the Father and the Son. The Father says, Son, I want you to go and do. And the Son says, No. Don't want to. Did he say that? No. He says, I'll gladly go to do thy will. I'm here to do thy will. Not my will, but thy will. And think about the son to the spirit. And the spirit in this, oh, he says, I, okay, boom, we're good, you know. And he puts his stamp of approval on it, if you will. So you've got this esteem. So the issue of Paul's love language uh, I told you I read a book, Five Love Languages, and I couldn't, couldn't remember. I was going to bring them out and break them all down. And I'm like, you know, how can you do that? You really can't. 
Because literally in the book, almost every other word and every other paragraph was that word emotion or emotional. And, and even though emotions are great, they have to be under the control of the mind and the will, and they got to be where they need to be to function properly. And too often times when you talk about love and loving somebody and all, you get into this emotional thing and you can't get out of it, and then you just really do more damage than you are. But I got to looking at Paul. And what does he say our interaction is to be with each other? Well, in verse 3, what does he say? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife, vainglory, looking out for number one. You guys know the little acronym, joy, Jesus, others, and then you. That's joy. Where are you? You're, di- you're, you're trying to beat everybody to the bottom of the list. You promote the Lord Jesus Christ because of who he is in your life and who you are in him. And then you go over here and you're serving others. Let, but in lowliness of mind, there's, that it, this is a mindset. This is something that comes from an understanding of who you are in Christ and an understanding of where you ought to be and what you ought to be doing and how you ought to be interacting with each other. Now, in Philippians, he's talking about in the local assembly. But he also talks this way, and we'll see it as we go through this, in marriage. The great illustration of this is in our marriages. Husband and wife, that identification, that there are, there are roles. We've looked at this, and I'm not trying to reteach what we taught over the months and the years. But there are roles. But in those roles, there is attitudes that come in. And the attitude that we're to have collectively, remember Ephesians 5, 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. See, we're already to have this issue of a, of, a, of a thought process. Let this mind be in you. Let us mind the lowliness of mind. What are we going to do? We're going to esteem. And it starts with that. Esteem, hold high, a high regard of one another. And the, high, the, the thinking process, come over to chapter 1 of Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9. And, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in what? Knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Hey, There's a love, there's a mindset, a thinking process that says I'm going to, I have the capability of evaluating things the way God evaluates, esteem. How does God esteem the other person? How does God esteem my wife, my husband, my children? How does he view them? You have that ability to look at that and say, how does he do that? Well, what does he do? Same way he values and esteems you. He loved you. He died for you. He's blessed you with all spiritual blessings. He's made you complete in Christ. He's taken all of that, he's, and he's imparted it to you. And he says, here, this is for you and me. And the Father comes in, and he puts his stamp on him, the Holy Spirit, and he says, yep, there it is, and he's yours until the day of redemption over there. The rapture, we call it, that the beginning of our hope, if you will. And he says, here's how you're to think about this. 
right here, right now, in the moment. You're to esteem them. You're to not have a vainglory, not have a selfishness, not try to gain and get. You're going to get in the... I think about husbands and wives. You're going to get something because you are in that role of a husband. Because you're in the what? In the role. You're going to get something because you're in the role of a wife. You, you get that because you're in those roles. You've already gotten everything that you need, where? In Christ. That's why in Ephesians 1, when he lists those spiritual blessings, where are you accepted? You're accepted in the beloved. You're not accepted in your husband. You're not accepted in your wife. You're accepted in, your, in who you are in Christ, in the beloved. So when you come to esteem, and that's where this road starts, you're looking at the other person as who they are in Christ. By the way, not as a brother or sister in Christ because those aren't the roles they play in your life. In your life, the roles they play are husband and wife and pastor, teacher, whatever the role is that you come up against. When I look at you guys, you're in Philippians 1. Look at verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, a servant of Jesus Christ to all the who? Saints, when I look at you guys, my, my role with you is I, you are what? Saints. What's my role to you? The bishops and the deacons. The bishop there. The deacons. The leadership. See, when I look at you guys and I esteem you, I don't esteem you just as my brother and sister. I esteem you as who? Saints. People, saints of the Most High. That's who you are. That's who I am, but in my role, when I look at you and I say, hey, I, you know how you get those phone calls from certain people and you just go, oh, do I have to answer that? Do I really? And the answer is yes. I let it go to voicemail. So if you go to voicemail, you know what's going on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we were in Death Valley, and the phones don't work. You know, they just no signal. So we get up to the top. Where we went up looking at some uh, charcoal uh, kilns, K-I-L-N-S, kilns, big, big beehive-looking things. They're right on the side of the road. You, I mean, you don't have to get out, but we're going to get out and look at them. It's only 29 degrees outside and snowing, but we're getting out. We don't have any, no, no winter jackets, no nothing. We're going, rah, rah, you know, off we go. So we get up there, and guess what I get? Cell service. And I get a download of like, oh, boom. And I'm like, that's ah, waiting for the, that's just going to wait till the, we get to the hotel. Why? Because I'm not going to get into it now. The thing is, is when you, no, what, how do you esteem others? Better than yourself. That's where this road starts. And it's going to go down, come over to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it's going to move here. And last time we looked at the conclusion. We looked at the intro. Here's where we start. How do we value and esteem each other better than ourselves? We're looking out for their good. We're looking out for their interest. We're paying attention to their, their, them. And by the way, more than just their feelings about being offended or not, we're looking out for their good. We're looking out for their betterment. We're looking out for them. Then we get down here to the issue of charity. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 5. Now the end of the commandment is what? Well, here's the end. Where, where are we headed to? We're headed to charity. 
Now, charity is more than love. And when Paul wants to demonstrate what charity is, he uses the word charity. The New Bibles change it to the word love, and they do it a disservice. And the disservice is that they actually are lessening the significance of charity and what, it, and what Paul is driving at. And when we talk about, we talked about charity last time, and we just kind of ran some verses, come over to Colossians chapter 3. By the way, he says there, the end of uh, 1 Timothy 1, 5, I didn't finish the verse, the end of commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. There's three mechanisms here that produce charity. Charity doesn't just show up. Charity is literally going to be a walk here in time. And what begins to happen is that there are three issues that are going to fill into charity. Faith on uh, uh, one five there, pure heart, good conscience, and faith unfeigned. He doesn't say it just pops up. Now, what these three are going to do, and we're going to have to look at them more time, is it brings us to that issue of godliness. And that's the ultimate goal. What the ultimate goal is to have charity in your life. Now, charity isn't just feeding the poor and doing things like that. 1 Corinthians 13, we'll get there in just a minute. And being a benefactor. Charity in Scripture has something far more, far deeper of, an under, of, an, of, of a meaning than just coming over here and taking care of the poor and helping out over here Brother Rick when he needs it or oh, this or that and so forth, okay? Look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity. Now, all those things start back up in verse 12, where he says, put on therefore. And this, these verses and information is literally the Christian dress. This is what you are to put on. You're to put on one leg. You're, put on the other, you're, you're to get dressed in this, in this information. Holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. All of those, by the way, are listed and illustrated in 1 Corinthians 13 as what charity looks like. And we looked at that last time. When we went through them, we'll go over there in just a minute. Above, which is, verse 14, above all these things put on charity. Above being kind and forbearing and forgiving and humble and having mercy and being long-suffering, you're to put on what? Charity. Which, why? It's the bond of what? Perfectness. What's that issue of being of perfect? When, we, when Paul talks about being perfect, what's he talking about? Maturity. So now come to 1 Corinthians 13. So we're talking about being mature, having some spiritual maturity. Somebody asked me if I lost more weight, and I haven't, but you can always wear clothes that are too big, make you look like you lost weight, and the suit's a little too big, so that's why it looks like I lost a lot of weight, but I haven't. I'm still at the same number. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 30, uh, 12, 31, the last verse of chapter 12. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a 
Notice that, more excellent way. There's a way better than the sign gift program. And then he, illust- he, he goes into this in 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. The issue of charity is going to end up being in the issue of some spiritual maturity. That's why he'll say, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity. That's how you know in Scripture charity isn't feeding the poor. What does that verse say? Even though I feed the poor and take care of it and still don't have charity. We're talking about something deeper. It profiteth me nothing. Charity. And then in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, it suffereth long. It puts up with it. It's patient. Ain't that the, isn't that a kick? How, are you, how do you do in dealing with other people? It's kind, tender, and considerate of one another. It envieth not. Uh, it's not jealous. It vaunteth not itself. It doesn't brag. It doesn't, it seeketh not our own. It, it doesn't get out there and try to, you know, do my own thing. It's not selfish. It's not puffed up. There's that lowliness of mind. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not our own. There's that seeking not its own. It, 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 it's, you're after what? The betterment of the other. You're esteeming the other. I love that, thinketh no, uh, thinketh no evil. Doesn't jump to conclusions. You know? What does it do? It gives the benefit of the doubt to them. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. You know, we have a tendency to, we like to brag about our past sins. You know what charity says? Knock it off. I don't want to hear that. I don't need to hear that. Oh, but Rick, it's my testimony. That's fine. Leave it in the testimony. You want to write a track? (laughs) Write out your testimony. There's your first track. Write it out. Rejoiceth in truth. I love that, man. What does charity want? What does maturity want? Accuracy. Truth. Rejoiceth, uh, I'm sorry, beareth all things. Supports, comes in and helps. Believeth all things, again, not suspicious. Endureth all things. Hopeth for all things. Anticipating the best for others. Endureth, refuses to give up. There's charity for you. Then Paul in verse 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 begin to describe what's, what's rep- what the better thing is, and there's the, com- the fulfillment of the Scripture. I need you to get to verse 13. <laughs> That's where we're headed. Look at verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Charity. How many things in 1 Timothy 1 did we count? Three things to get to charity. Here, again, faith, hope, and charity. Three things. These three, now you think about where Paul's at. He's in 1 Corinthians. He's talking to Corinth. 
Now, is Corinth a very mature church or a very baby church? They're a baby church. They're carnal, chapter 3. They're babes. They're, they have taken the sign gifts, chapter 12, and they have promoted tongue talking, the, the tongue gift. Why would they promote the tongue gift but above everybody else? All the gifts are equal, by the way. But they promote the, because where does, that, where, where does the tongue talker stand? Right up front, in front of everybody. I got the gift of the tongue. So what did they do? They violated, by the way, chapter 14, their rules to the tongue-talking deal. If the modern-day Pentecostal tongue-talking groups today did and obeyed chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, that they would not exist anymore because tongue, the, the gifts were to be done by men and men only. And the women today, or I, I don't know about today, I haven't talked to any of them lately, <laughs> they seem to be the pushers of that stuff. Faith, hope, and charity. These three are designed to produce maturity in the life of a believer. To produce, where are we headed? Godliness. Maturity. Faith. Resting in the foundation of the Word of God. We, we quote the verse in Romans 10, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith resting in that foundation. Hope. Boy, boy, that's a big word. An expectation of a future event. God's Word sets before us a hope. And a hope that He will accomplish one day for you and I as members of the body of Christ. Come over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Then you have charity. And charity becomes that source of all of this, of faith and all of hope working in you. The way you think about how you value and esteem things the way God does. How do I, I start here with esteeming. How does God value what's going on in my life? How does God value one another, How, my interaction with other? How does God value what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and how I'm thinking about it? And charity comes along, and it, it's, it was described one time as love in action. And that's a great way to think about it. It's movement. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul uses that and talks about that. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Now, by the way, Thessalonians is said to be a perfect church, if you will. thing is, is they have issues even in a perfect church. But they have a model church here. Here's what a model local assembly is to look like. Verse 3, he says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God and our Father, notice this, labor, a work of faith, a labor of love. There's charity. You guys looking at me like I lost you. We got faith, we've got hope, and we have charity. What's he say to the Thessalonians? 
By the way, Spurgeon one time said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. So we're not perfect church, so you just come on down. Okay? What's he say? There's a work of faith, a patience of hope. Boy, we're not very patient sometimes. And a labor of love. Those are driven by an understanding of the doctrine. Run your eye right across the page to verse 6. And ye, talking to the Thessalonians, became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word and much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Boy, what a great testimony of that local assembly there. That ought to be the desire of every local assembly to have that kind of a testimony said about them. They even made the word of God. But watch verse 9. For they themselves show of us of what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols. There's that work of faith. What did they hear? They heard the gospel. What did they believe? The gospel. What have they got going on around them? Much affliction. They've got lewd men of the baser sorts, and they're pounding on them, and the Jews are after them. And in all of that, we be, ye became followers of us. You know what they did? They heard Paul's gospel and said, there's where we ought to be. That's who's talking to me. Paul is. The Jews are like, no, 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 it's over here. And they're like, nope, it's over here. They turn from, to, to, uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's the labor of love. Come along and now let's go serve. Let's get on the lifeline here and let's be where we need to be so that we get to that end. What is the end of the commandment? Charity. Out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. We got a, we got a goal here to get to. Then he says, verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath. And there's the patience of hope. And I'll be honest with you, we don't have much patience today, do we? Let's get there. Come on, come on, come on. You know? And you know what he says? No, you ought to have some patience. But look at verse 10 carefully. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the what? Wrath to come. That's patience and an understanding of a pre-trib rapture, if you will. Of some doctrine of where we ought to be and what's coming. And, ha and how do we live with that in view? And go at that. So you have these three. And these three, faith, hope, and charity, are all to be functioning in your life all the time, constantly. That issue of faith. Uh, you're in Thessalonians. Look over at chapter 2. You think about faith. He, he calls it the work of faith. You have the Word of God empowering your life because you believe it. You have that labor of love. You, you have this, this, this life motivated by a gratitude for what He has done for you and who He's made you in Christ. 
And then you have that patience of hope. You have that life sustained by the hope that we have in Christ. And you begin to think about faith. And you think, begin to think about maturity. And you begin to think about labor. Uh, you think about hope and charity and faith. And this, the application of all of this. I know I told you chapter 2. Real quick. Let's talk about maturity just real fast, okay? Come back to Philippians, and on your way, go to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. I got ahead of me in my notes, and you can't miss the maturity thing, because that helped, that's why we're doing what we're doing. <laughs> and get a little spiritual maturity into you, a little love language into you. Look at 2 Timothy 3. These three, faith, hope, and charity, are designed to produce spiritual maturity in your life as a believer. They're designed to produce the proper thinking process in your life that is then going to come over here and produce the proper thinking about the details of your life. We start in who you are, you understand that, and then it begins to work out into the details of life. Your details of life are different than mine. But the life of Christ, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ, what? Liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, so it's right now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. So now I, gotta go, I have a life to go live. I have his life to go live. And faith, hope, and charity help get that done. 2 Timothy 3 if you look here at verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. We love that, don't we? Get the information in there, get it resident in our inner man. But then he says for reproof. Now, that's bad behavior. Sometimes our behavior gets off, kind of off, off you know, a little bit. So the Word of God's going to do what? Through the sound doctrine, come in and bring you back. You, you, you remember you, right? Here you are. There you go. Okay, and what have you done in your inner man? You've built in that doctrine. Here's your soul. Here's you. Your will and your heart say, we're going to follow the doctrine. Here's your spirit. Here's your mind. The word comes in, comes down, begins to fill up and begins to build down into your inner man and your heart and you got your conscience and you got your emotions. Emotions are going to go deal with the body over here. Remember who you are. That's where we're at. You bring in the Word of God up here. Man, I messed up my timeline. You come in here. You build that doctrine. Then, and then your activity gets going. And the reproof checks in and says, hang on a minute. Your conscience, while accusing or excusing, says your behavior isn't matching the doctrine. Let's correct it. Let's get it right. Come on. Now, that comes in a lot of forms. It comes, hopefully, in you self-checking, self-judgment. But then there's my other judgments outside of you. Brothers come, people come, bring the word, say, hey, look, your lifestyle's not. But where's it coming from? It's coming from inside. Then he says correction. Now, correction's bad doctrine. So here you've got, you've got sound doctrine, and then you're going to have, well, you get over here and you listen to a guy online, and he's going to give you a little human viewpoint. A little religion, a little, you got to go this way or else. 
And what happens? You seep that in because he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. I know him. He's spirit. You know, he's smooth. I love that. Smooth, you know. But what does your heart say? What does your will say? What's your conscience say? That's not right. It isn't matching the doctrine. It doesn't match the word of God rightly divided. It's not right. So what do you do? Get rid of it. Then he says instruction for instruction in righteousness. So now you've got this instruction going on in here. Paul says, in whatever state I am therewith to be content, or I find myself, I've learned, I've been instructed to be content. I was taught this. It's against human nature to be content. We always want more and more and more and more. Paul says the doctrine comes in and does what? Calms you down. That, why is this the case? What's the reason? What's the intent for the word working this way? That the man of God may be what? Perfect. Well, you never make another mistake. Yeah, you do. Because that's not what the word perfect means. Notice the comma. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is to be, come over to Philippians 3. That is to be equipped that is to come along and to have an ability to look at, to, to look at my life. Paul tells the, to Corinthians to go examine yourselves. Go look at yourself. Philippians 3. You go in, you say, is my behavior matching? If it is, great, and if not, i got to fix it. Maybe I'm not able to be subjective enough to be able to ask myself. So I come over here and I get help from Rick. I get help from other members. I don't, don't ask my spouse because I'm always in trouble. You know, don't, I come in, I find a neutral part. I come in, I come find the word of God. Boy, that went over like a lead balloon, didn't it? <laughs> Just keep going, okay, Rick? Just keep going, okay? What do I do? I come in and I figure, hey, why? Because what do I want to do? I want to be furnished unto all good works. I want to be doing what's right. I want to be right where I'm supposed to be. How do I get there? Look at Philippians 3, verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. Again, what is perfect? Maturity, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Be thus minded. And then if anything, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So if I, I get the doctrine and I'm there, I never leave there. Whatever the point is, I'm walking along life's narrow way and I come to an understanding of life in Christ Jesus and what it really means, I'm never leaving it. I'm not giving it up. No matter who comes up, who says this, who tries to present better evidence? I love that thing in Romans 4 where he was fully persuaded. Look at verse 15. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded. Okay, I don't maybe know something about this subject. Maybe I need to study it out a little bit more. I can't be as dogmatic about that as I can be about the gospel that I teach and give to people. I can't be, maybe, maybe there's some issues in here i got to work out. i got to learn. How's God going to reveal them unto me? How's he going to show them unto me? By the, his word. That's where he works, in his word. We get into doctrine and get it up. Now watch verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, 
Let us walk by the same rule. Isn't that interesting? When we talk about the gospel, and we're going to present the gospel, little sheet we used to have in the back of the bulletin, the gospel of the grace of God, the center, the sentence, the Savior, the solution. When we begin to talk about the gospel, do, we don't add works to it, do we? No. You should, you should say no, okay? Please, say no. <laughs> All right, thank you. What do, so if we hear someone that adds works to the gospel, what do we do to them? Go jump on them with both feet and try to correct them, right? Well, we go over, again, how do we evaluate them? Where are they? They're, they're stuck in bad doctrine. We, got, we need to help them. So we go over with a spirit of meekness and, and go in and say, hey, look, you know, you added this and consider this and that. But we don't say, hey, I like the way that sounded and, and bring it on. Why? Verse 16, what have we done? We've attained to a rule, don't we? That the gospel is by faith and faith alone. And it's faith in not only the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, but his burial and his resurrection. Because he was raised for our offenses. That's why he, that resurrect, never leave the resurrection out. Sometimes we tend to lean, lean heavy on the blood. Don't leave the resurrection. Why? Because he was raised for our justification. What do we do? Verse 16, let us mine the same through the same rule. Relative maturity, thus minded. Now again, in Philippians, there's a mindset running through it. But what I want you to see here is these elements come in as you and I begin to function. Think about faith. Come back to 1 Thessalonians 2. Let's just do this quickly. 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 13. Think about faith where we have the Word of God, the Word of God empowering our lives because we believe it. What does 1 Thessalonians 2.13 say? Think about the Thessalonians, probably the first book that Paul wrote. Some debate it with Galatians, and that's okay. He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as is in truth the word of God. So when they heard Paul preach at Berea, at Thessalonica, on his journeys there, what did they say they were hearing? Because they're not reading it, they heard the what? The word of God. They said, that's the word of God. That man's preaching the word. Now he goes on to say, which effectually worketh also in you that what? Believe. There's an effectual working of the word, not when you hear it, but when you what? Believe it. Now, what's their effectual working? Well, in Thessalonica, it's back up there in verse 7. So that you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia, okay, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. What are they doing? They caught the word. They get, just, they get saved. 
Paul's gospel. They know Paul's our apostle. They know God's doing something different today. He's not working with the Jews anymore. He's over here working in an all-man ministry. And Paul, and they, boy, Paul teaches them Romans in like two days. Not really, but literally, you know, boom, gets them established, gets them going. Out you go. By the way, you know how you know that? Acts 14 tells you how he did this. He didn't spend 20 years teaching these people. He got them. They got it. Why? Because they believed that what they heard was the Word of God. And it effectually, it made an impact on their life immediately. And off they went. Think about faith. Folks, we have the Word of God. And its design is to empower your life when you believe it. If you don't believe it, it's just going to be another book on the shelf that you've read. Its design is to come in and to catch you and to take you and to run with you. Think about hope. The patience of hope. Having a life sustained by. The hope that we have in Christ. Come over to Titus 2. Titus chapter 2, Titus 2, verse 13, Titus 2, 13. We know that one day we're going to receive our new body. We know that we'll be seated in the heavenly places. We know that the mechanics of getting us from earth into the heavenly places is the event we call the rapture. We know that. We believe that. I want you to see Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that the rapture is only a part of our blessed hope. Hope has this bigger event than just getting you out of planet Earth or resurrection our resurrection. He's going to take us, and just because of time, we don't need to run the verse. He's going to take us, present us to the Father. We, walk, we go through the judgment seat of Christ. He presents us to the Father. The Father then places us into that heavenly places out there, into that rank and authority and the governing of the heavens that is ours to do. And that's our hope, but it doesn't just stop there. It goes on, Ephesians 2, 7, for the ages to come. What are we doing? We're showing forth his exceeding, you guys know the verse, riches. And he says, man, we got a hope. We, got a, we have a hope. We have a life that sustains because we have a future out there that we know about and we understand and we've fallen in love with. How do you get through the nasty now and now? You know you got a hope. You know you got a future. And that leaves the last of them, which is charity, which in 1 Thessalonians here is the labor of love. And that's a life motivated by gratitude for what he has done for you. Now come back with me to Colossians 3. And again, charity is where we're headed. To get there, 
We have a life. <laughs> to get there, what do we have? We've got to put the doctrine in. We've got to let the doctrine reprove us and correct us and instruct us. We've got to let those around us in the local assembly. By the way, all of this is designed to function within a local assembly. When we talk about the walk here, and we're going to talk about Paul's one-anotherings, literally the one-anotherings of Paul cannot be done successfully to any degree outside of a local assembly. Okay? You can do them outside the local assembly, but not to the degree of success that they're designed to have. And we'll see that as we go through. Think about charity. Look at Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Boy, what a great verses on our identity in Christ and who we are. What great verses on our work of faith and, and patience of hope. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Mortify, to, to subdue them, to put them into subjection. Control that old man. Verse, the rest of verse 5 and 6 there. Verse 7, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. You're to put off the old man and the deeds of his flesh. But now watch verse 8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blaspheme, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man. What did you just do? He says, listen, you're to put off the works of the flesh, Galatians 5. But you got that? Now you're also now to come over here and put off the attitude sins. Now you think about what we're talking about in the love language. Do we not get a little angry with each other? Yeah. Do we not begin to kind of blow some sm smoke? Don't, do we not have malice and blas blaspheme to speak evil against? I, I love that. Filthy communication. People, oh, that's swearing. That, and this, none of this has to do anything with swearing. Filthy communication. How do you talk about other brothers in Christ? How do you talk about each other? And there, there can be a filth to it. Lie not one to another. Ooh. What does he say, Romans 12? He says, let's be honest with all men. Let's do this with each other. Verse 10, and have put on the new man, I love this, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created. Here's, there's the real you. There's who you are. And we're to put on this new man, which is renewed. That ought to Romans 12, 2, renew the mind. Ephesians 4, 23, renew the spirit of your mind. Have the word come in and renew and build and direct. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in and all. Boy, what a wonderful verse to describe what the church, the body of Christ looks like. Look at all those heathen in that verse. All of them, heathen, unsaved. And what do they do? They've come to the saving knowledge, and now they're in Christ. And they have a life to go live. Verse 12, 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Here, because of who you are, put on some things. Now, he's going to begin to talk here about your walk and your conduct and how it should, how it should impact your life because it's impacting who, because of who you are in Christ. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, you know what? That, I love verse, that verse 13. That means you're going to fight. You're going to have a quarrel. But when you do it, let's have a little bit of some esteem here. Let's think about this properly. We're to have a forbearing and a forgiveness. By the way, forgiveness in Scripture is not, I forgive you, but I'll remember down the road to bring it back up. That's not forgiveness. That's selfishness. Look at verse 13. Look at it carefully. Even as Christ forgave you, so also what? Do you? How did Christ forgive you? Did he say, I'll forgive you now, but I'll remember it later? No. What did he say? I forgive you and I put your sins there as far as the east is from the west. That's like being dropped over in the deep blue sea out there. They're gone. You see, when we interact with each other, the one anothering, forgiveness is a major doctrine. And it isn't done with I'll bury the hatchet just halfway in and leave the handle out so I can rip it out later and nail you with it. Forgiveness in Scripture is a, is a moment of your faith saying, you know what, I give up my rights to be wronged because I'm esteeming and valuing and thinking about the others way before my condition, my problem, my situation. Man, forgiveness is a tough one to hold. But what is verse, how does verse 13 end? As Christ forgave you. There's that, there's that example again. How did he forgive you? Totally and completely. Never to drudge it up again. Never to lay it out in front of you again. Never to bring it up in 20 years and beat you over the head with it. Never to do any of that. He says it's done and it's gone. I'll be honest with you, if some of us could have that attitude with each other, it would, it would clear the air. It'd be a crystal blue sky every day. But unfortunately for us, it doesn't happen that way. Verse 14, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. That love in action. That bond what ties all of this together, the monkey glue. I love monkey glue. I broke some stuff the other day, put monkey. But you got to remember to put it in little amounts. I gobbed it down, and the next day it's everywhere, you know. It's, what, what, it's just stuck on. Man, it gets stuck. You can't move it. By the way, I broke it again, so you can't break it again. But <laughs> monkey glue, it's the bond. It's, it's what holds it all together. It's what comes in and takes the Christian life and puts it all in there. And then there's our perfectness. There's our maturity. 
there's that issue of the end out here that we're headed for. Now, how do we get there? Come back to chapter 1 of Colossians. How do we get there? Well, we started with esteem. How are we to be thinking of each other? How do we to have that highly esteem? Value and esteem you the way God does. If you can just take that, how does God esteem me? And I'm going to take that and put it on the other person. Then you're on your way to charity. You're on your way to that life of, well, 128, Colossians 128. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. That we may present every man, what? Perfect, but where? In Christ Jesus. We take the word of God, and we're going to do this. We're going to take Paul, we're going to take his one anotherings. Because this line that I drew there, from where we're to start to the end of the commandment, Paul uses a term, he calls it one another, or another. He'll use it in different ways, and he does it with the expressed interest of catching your attention to something you need to be aware of in your interaction with others. And nine out of ten times, there are others within a local assembly. So we're not talking about others with someone in California or others with someone in Chicago. We're talking about right here, see. And when you do that, come over to Ephesians 4. Did I put that up there? No, I didn't even finish Colossians for you, did I? Okay. Look at Ephesians 4, just real quick. When you do that and you begin to... By the way, if you take a concordance or a search engine and you put in one another, and you come up with a whole bunch of times he says one and another. There's going to be 20 specific ones where he's dealing with an interaction with each other within a local assembly. And we'll group them together book-wise and we'll look at them. And I'm not going to drag this out, but you need to see this issue of love language, of how Paul talks about the interaction between each other. Ephesians 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy. How are you to walk? Worthy. Worthy of the vocation wherewith we are, ye are called. We're to have a worthy walk. Now jump over to verse 14. In that worthy walk, which is what he's going to describe out for us in the rest of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, he says in verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. He wants us to do what? He wants you to grow up. See that? He doesn't want you to stay down here at, at the infant side. He wants you to move towards the bond of perfectness. He wants you to move. He wants you to, that's why he's going to say, verse 17, this I say henceforth and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Do you know how a Gentile walks with the issue of forgiveness? We are just talking about it. I forgive you now, but I'm going to bring it up next week. That's how a Gentile walks. 
That's how an unsaved person thinks about it. Verse 20, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Be therefore followers of God and as of dear children. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering, sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We're to have a walk of faith. We're to have a a worthy walk. And that walk is going to be along this line of esteeming one another, of getting to charity. And it comes through, Paul uses language, the one anothering. So we're going to look at that, okay? What's the end of the commandment? Charity. Why? Because it's the bond of perfectness. It's a bond of maturity. And the faith, hope, and charity, those three marks of spiritual maturity, once you attain the rule, don't leave the rule. Let it be. If it's something you don't understand, we'll get in it, we'll study it, we'll figure it out, we'll get there. But let's get the rule. Maturity adds to the rule, by the way. What's the golden rule? Do you guys know? Do unto others first before they do it to you? Oh, okay. Sorry. No. What is it? Do unto others as you would have others do to you, right? Just get there before they do. That's not the rule. The rule is here is who I am in Christ, and I keep building it, and I keep building it, and I keep building it. So then when I get over here to the end of the commandment, charity is something that just genuinely, naturally flows. Too oftentimes I hear people, oh, then nobody loves me. That is not a natural flow of charity. That's a, a natural flow of, of selfishness or insecurity. That's the word I was. It's a no, charity, a natural flow of, hey, I'm going to esteem you better than I am myself. What can I do to help you? And, it be, and it's genuine. Because it's coming from a place of understanding of who I am in Christ and moving forward. It'll start in your relationships at home. It's designed to function there and it's designed to function in the local assembly. That's why it's important. So we'll begin looking at them. We'll take them in chunks so we're not here all year. Wasn't my plan. (laughs) But you need to see them. You need to understand them. And you need to recognize that that's Paul's charity language, love language, if you will. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions here. We thank you for everything that we have in your son. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything. In your name we pray. Amen.